Well, um, we have come to our second lesson on the family, and we're going to be looking tonight at virtuous living in the home. And last week we covered the wife's role, and tonight we'll cover the husband and the children and also a little bit of the wife's role again. So if you would turn in your Bible to Colossians 3, Colossians 3, and we're going to look at verses 19 through 21 this evening, virtuous living in the home. The Christian home should be a place where um, the lost world can look in and see Christ represented. And I'm concerned that some who are looking into our homes respond much like a seven-year-old girl who is being told the story of Cinderella. And at the end of the story, her mother said, and they lived happily ever after. And she said, no, they didn't. They got married. I don't know about you, but it grieves my heart that the Christian family is not much different than the non-Christian family. I don't know if you know this, but divorce rates are about the same. Did you know that? About as many Christian couples get divorces as do non-Christian couples. Child abuse, about the same. Very little discipline of children takes place in the home. Arguing and fighting abounds, and I know because my husband and I do a lot of counseling with Christian couples. And even Christian homes, you see, the love of the world is very predominant. Christendom, in my opinion, has disgraced the name of Christ in many ways and has failed in representing the example of the type of relationship that Paul mentions in Ephesians where he says that a husband and wife relationship should be the representation of Christ and the church. Now, in our last lesson, we looked at Paul's admonishment to the wives. They are to be submissive, and as we saw, they're to be submissive to their own husbands, uh, just one husband, their own husband. But I'm thankful that Paul doesn't stop there because now he has something to say about the role of the husband. He has a word for the children, and he also has a word for parents. And so we're going to consider tonight virtuous living in the home. And if you would read along with me, Colossians 3:18 to 21. Wives, submit to yourselves unto your own husbands, that it is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they be discouraged. Now, we have a threefold outline tonight. We're going to look at the responsibility of the husband to the wife in verse 19, the responsibility of the children to the parents in verse 20, and then lastly, the responsibility uh, of the parents to the children. Did I say that? Responsibility of the children to the parents and then responsibility of the parents to the children, verse 21. So let's look, first of all, the responsibility of the husband to the wife, and it's a twofold responsibility. This is not all of the responsibilities that he has to the wife. If you did your homework, you saw most of the responsibilities a husband has towards his wife, but in our context and for our purposes, in Colossians, there is a twofold responsibility. Notice the first thing they are to love their wives, and secondly, they are not to be bitter towards them. So let's consider the first one. The first responsibility of a husband to a wife is to love her. And the word for love here, the Greek word for love, is not phileo, which is tender affection. I don't think very many husbands have to be told to have tender affection for their wives. Most of them, that just comes kind of naturally. But the Greek word here for love is agapeo. And this is not a sexual love. 
It is not an emotional love. But this is a love that loves the object willingly and looks out for their needs. Husbands are to love their wives willingly and they are to look out for their needs. It's also very interesting. It's in the present tense in the Greek, which means they are to constantly love their wives. It has to be a continuous action. And ladies, quite frankly, uh, I know because I'm a wife, they have to love us even when we're not so lovely. And uh, I know that none of you in this room who are married can say that you're lovely all the time. If you can say you are, I want to talk to your husband and see what he has to say. But husbands need to exercise compassionate care, and the wife is to respond willingly. Now, let me be very clear. It is true, as we saw last week, the husband makes the final decisions in the home. But the method of reaching that decision leaves ample room. There should be deliberation. There should be discussion. As we mentioned last week, we do not believe in doormat theology. There should be conversation that goes back and forth. At times when a husband and wife are trying to make a decision, sometimes the husband's decisions will prevail, and sometimes, at other times, the wife's decision will prevail as they discuss these things together. Now, in the Ephesians passage, if you looked at that in your homework, Paul said something very similar, but a little bit more convicting, I think, for the husband. Because he says that husbands are to love their wives the way Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And it talks about the husbands loving their wives as their own body. And he says, no man ever hated his flesh, but what? He cherishes it. He loves it. And so, ladies, when you think about this, That your husband, if you're married this evening, your husband is to love you the way Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, what would be included in that? How did Jesus, how did Christ show love to the church, which would include those of us in here who belong to the body of Christ? Well, he died for us, right? He died for us. He spilled his blood for us. He endured extreme pain For us, he was persecuted on our behalf. You know what? One of the things I love that Jesus did for me is he left instructions for me how I'm to live my life, right? He spelled it out very clearly. Christ also loves us enough that um, he wants to have fellowship with us. And ladies, when I think about this, Christ loves us even though many times we're unlovely, right? I mean, how many times today did you sin? How many times did you say a word today that you wished you hadn't said or thought a thought that you wished you hadn't thought? And yet that happens every day, right? We're unlovely. We're sinful. And yet Christ still loves us. Ladies, the church's action many times does not show her devotion to her Lord. And yet Christ does not become bitter towards the church. He pours out grace and mercy every single day towards us. Now, ladies, why did I bring that out? I want you to stop and realize what a death to self that this command demands of our husbands. They are to love us the way Christ loved the church. And I don't know about you, as I said last week, I believe the husband has a more difficult command to obey. And we as wives, we have a command to obey, to be submissive. But in my opinion, the husband has the more difficult command 
to obey. I believe it's absurd for a Christian husband to demand submission of his wife if he does not radically love her. Likewise, it is ridiculous for a wife who is not submissive to demand such love from her husband. You know, we want our husbands to love us the way Christ loved the church. And, oh, honey, I hope you lay down your life for me and spill your blood for me and blah, 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 blah. But yet at the same time, we're not submissive to them or respecting them or honoring them. So that's the first command for the husband. They're to love us, agape us. Secondly, They're not to be bitter towards a wife. Paul is actually saying to the husbands, stop it. Stop being bitter. Now, the word bitter refers to something bitter in taste. One man said a husband should not call his wife honey and then act like vinegar. Um, a husband shouldn't be harsh, and I have met a lot of women who are married to harsh men. Um, they shouldn't be cross. They shouldn't be resentful. And I have to admit to you, the first time that I studied the epistle to the Colossians, I really became very puzzled at this command from the husband to not be bitter towards his wife. And the reason being, I have counseled a lot of women who are bitter towards their husbands, very bitter. But it is a rare thing for me to encounter a husband who is bitter towards his wife. And so I, I stopped and I had to think about this. Why would a husband be bitter towards his wife? And as I thought about this, I thought, you know, this could be true. I think often men can become bitter towards their wives when their wife nags them consistently. We talked about that last week. And, you know, I had the... The dripping faucet and told you to go home and turn on your faucet. That's what your husband has to listen to when you constantly nagging them, trying to be their mother, their Holy Spirit. And so if you're a wife that does that, you might find that you have a bitter husband. I think a husband can become bitter towards his wife when she's not respectful. I know for my own marriage, the one thing that my husband uh, I know uh, loves when I do is to show honor and respect. And there's been many a time where we've had someone in our home and they've left and he'd say, honey, I think what you'd said or did was not very honoring to me. And so a husband wants that. He wants honor and respect. And so um, if you're not doing that, then he might become bitter. I think bitterness can also result when a wife denies sexual intimacy. Uh, this can be very frustrating to a man. It can put him in a position where he is sexually tempted, and so he could become bitter. Um, I have seen husbands, I have seen husbands become bitter towards their wives when a wife takes, uh, has a girlfriend that she spends more time with, she's closer to than developing that intimacy with her husband, or if a child takes precedent over a husband and she would rather dote on that child and be with that child than to spend time with her husband. And I do believe that that is another way that husbands can become bitter. Now, I will say this, bitterness could also be to no fault of the wife at all. The wife may be trying to live blamelessly, holy, doing the right thing, and the husband could be bitter just because he has the view that we talked about last week. He's not supposed to have this superior view that I'm better than you and you better be submissive to me, and I'm going to use the submission club to make you submissive to me. And when he starts treating his wife as inferior or he's harsh um, or things like that, he could become bitter. One man said, wherever bitterness is, their love is wanting. And where love is wanting in the married life, 
there is hell upon earth. And that is so true. If you've ever been around a couple that's always bickering with each other, just da, 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 and it's really hard to be around that. And there's something definitely wrong in the marriage. I can't pinpoint what it is, but there's a problem with either the husband or the wife. Now, the husband and the wife are not the only ones that Paul gives commands to because now he's going to give a command to the children. And so it's interesting, all of our young girls aren't in here. They need to to hear this. And I was telling my grandson today, I said, Grandma's teaching on this tonight, so obey. So (laughs) a command to the children. So if we turn from the responsibility of the husband to the wife to the responsibility of the children to the parents in verse 20. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. So the responsibility of the child is to obey. The word, Greek word obey, listen very carefully, it means to listen under. To listen under. Ladies, literally, children are to listen under their parents. Now, obedience begins with listening. The child has to listen Children cannot obey their parents if they do not listen to what their parents are asking them to do. In fact, how many times in uh, the book of Proverbs does Solomon say to his son, my son, listen, (laughs) my son, listen, listen to what I am saying. Some of us have not trained our children to listen to our instructions, and that's why they don't obey. Um, I had a child, and she wouldn't mind if I said it. It was my daughter since I only had two. Um, Many times I would give Cindy a command, you need to go to clean your room. So I would go upstairs and an hour later, and the room hadn't even started to be cleaned yet. And I'd say, Cindy, I told you an hour ago to clean your room. And she would say, Mother, I forgot. And I would say, well, you're going to get a spanking anyway because I told you. But since that time, I have instructed young mothers who have that same kind of problem with the child that doesn't listen, have the child repeat back. What did Mommy just say? Mommy, you just told me to go clean my room. Okay, then that's what I want you to do. And if you want to set a timer for an hour, you can do that or for Cindy, it took an hour, believe me. But uh, but for some children, you know, the rooms aren't quite as messy. And so in order to train your children, remember, they're to listen under. So you need to make sure there's no distractions. Uh, put away, if the TV's on, turn it off and say, what did mommy say? And then have them repeat it back to you and then have them do it. Ladies, children should not challenge your commands. They should obey the spoken word. And I have to tell you, I'm grieved. I have been at Christian gatherings where children are present and parents give a command and the child goes about his or her business completely ignoring the parent. Or worse off, I have hear children tell their parents no. I was just in California a few weeks ago and I was with one of my good friends out there and her husband, I think I told you the guy that graduated with Doug, and I said, you know, is this a problem in your church? And she said, oh, yeah. And I said, what's happened to Christian parents? You know, they don't teach their children to obey anymore, to obey the spoken word. And ladies, it breaks my heart, not just for the child, but for the parent, because it's exasperating to the parent to have to tell the child over and over and over and over again. And my friend, it's damning to the child. Now, you might say, well, Susan, you just cursed. I mean, that's a, you're being a little extreme, aren't you? No. Do you know God says it is? 
Listen to Proverbs 23. Do not withhold correction from your child. If you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. (laughs) From hell. Deliver his soul from hell. Ladies, think with me very carefully. If you as a mother do not demand obedience from your child, what makes you think they're going to obey the Lord? They're going to look at all commands, whether it's from the Bible, whether it's at school, whether it's at home, whether it's at work. They're going to look at all commands as optional. Why? Because you've taught them that from their inception. You don't have to obey the spoken word. And so, ladies, we're really doing our children a disservice when we don't teach them to obey the spoken word. Now, the command here for the child to obey is a continuous obedience. And so this would mean that the child must obey even when he or she doesn't feel like it, just like we looked last week. The wife is to be submissive to her husband even if she doesn't feel like it, right? And sometimes, quite frankly, you know, we we don't feel like it. But we are to be submissive even when we don't feel like it. The child is to obey even when they don't feel like it. And by the way, many times a child will model uh, what you as a mother do. Um, if you do, if you as a mother do not have a loving submission to the father then you cannot expect your child to have a submission to you. Um, I, I have mentioned this before, a gathering I was at where there was a child that was very disrespectful to her father, and another older woman confronted her and uh, told her not to do it anymore, and she said, why, why not? My mommy does it, so why can't I do it? Why can't I be disrespectful to my father? My mother is. And so, ladies, um, that's an awful indictment on the family. Ladies, we must remind our children that disobedience was um, severely punished, even in the Old Testament. I remember, um, um, I don't know if Andrea or Doug was laughing at this today, we were talking about it, but in Deuteronomy 28, where uh, they bring the rebellious son, remember he was rebellious, he was a glutton, he wouldn't obey the voice of his father or his mother, Deuteronomy 21:18, and they came and brought him to the elders of the city, and we say, we don't know what to do with this son, he's rebellious, he will not obey our voice. And you know what they did? They took him out of the city and they stoned him to death. I used to tell my kids that. You know what would have happened to you in the Old Testament? We would have taken you out and stoned you to death. And uh, little Ethan was sitting on my lap today. And I said, not only that, Ethan, but, but you know, the child that mocks his father or mother with his eye, the, the eagle's going to come and pluck his eye out. And, and he said, what's that? And so, um, but I would remind my children of that verse, too. I was like, you know, don't look at me like that. I said, you know what the Bible says? The eagle's going to come pluck your eyeball out. And, uh, but I, I, I didn't do it to be mean to my children. I wanted my children to know how serious God took their disobedience to me. It's serious to be disobedient to your mother or your father. Now, ladies, as we train our children to obey, this does not mean we scream and yell at them 15 times and then swat them. Nor does it mean we give them time out. There should be punishment involved in disobedience. You know, if our, if our Heavenly Father, Jesus, who we just talked about, loves us, the church, if he disciplines us because he loves us, isn't that what the writer to the Hebrews says? If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. But if you are without chastening, what? You're illegitimate. You're not a real son. 
In fact, uh, no chastening for the present seems to be joyful. It's not fun. Like those spankings, they're not fun, right? But it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness. And so often when I'm discipling or counseling a young woman who has a struggle in this, I'll, I'll ask them, do you love your child? And they'll say yes, and I'll say, then you need to discipline. God loves us enough to discipline us when we get out of line. And so uh, it's not joyful for the present, but it yields that peaceable fruit of righteousness. And I will tell tell you this also, um, that I have learned that if you will start young, and cheat your child from from birth to obey the spoken word, parenting becomes easier and easier um, as they get older, and um, it makes it easier for both the parent and the child. I'm also, I must say this, I'm concerned about parents in our age. This is one of the things that um, I was talking to my friend about. Parents who seem afraid to tell a child no. Have you noticed that? And they're more interested in being their child's friend than a parent. That seems to be a common thing, even in the Christian church. One man said, waves of lawlessness sleep over the, sweep over the world because children are not taught to obey. Now, I do believe there is one exception to this command, and it is the same exception that we brought out last week. That is, if a parent would ask a child to sin, and this is where it's very difficult because most small children would not know that. Uh, children are naive, they're innocent, and unfortunately some parents do ask little children to sin. But, um, in fact, I was in a family member's home several years ago, and the phone rang, and the, my family member said, uh, tell them mommy's not at home. And the young girl did. She said, my mommy's not here. And when they hung up, and I talked to this family member, and I said, I can't believe you just did that. I said, you just told your daughter to lie for you. And uh, it was a a little child, but an older child, a junior high, high schooler, could have very well said, Mommy, I'm not going to lie for you. And I would see nothing wrong with that. But, again, it would be very difficult for a little child to discern if Mommy or Daddy uh, was asking them to sin. Um, Remember what Jesus says, a man's enemies are going to be they of his own household. And if you love father, sister, brother, mother more than me, you're not worthy of me. I think that's where an older child will need to be taught how to graciously appeal, be respectful, just like we talked about last week with a wife where uh, she chooses to maybe not participate in something her husband wants her to do and how to make gracious appeals. Well, Paul gives a motivation for this command to the child, and that is their obedience is pleasing to the Lord. This means it's agreeable to him. It's acceptable to him. Remember, uh, way, way back in September, we saw Paul's prayer for the church at Colossae. Remember, he says, I'm praying that you will have a a desire to please the Lord. And certainly uh, an obedient child is uh, an answer to Paul's prayer. Now, also, I would encourage if you are training your children or training your grandchildren, This is a command that comes with a promise, and I would bring this out um, to your child. Exodus 20 says, honor your father and mother that your days may be long on the earth. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long on the earth. Also, the sister epistle, Ephesians, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise that it may go well with you and that your days may be long on the earth. You know, I had a brother that died last year. He was our first out of seven siblings to die. My brother did not honor his father or his mother. And uh, I've thought about that often. And uh, have you ever noticed that 
many times ungodly men or women don't live out half their days. And sometimes I wonder how much of this is true. Is that they just have never learned or have honored their father and their mother. And so teach your children that. You know, as you honor your father and your mother, it'll go well with you and your days will be long on the earth. Now, there's one more commandment to look at that will fulfill the virtuous Christian family, and it's found in verse 21. It's the responsibility of the parents to the children. Fathers, don't provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Now, in order for us to understand this commandment, ladies, we have to understand the culture, the time that Paul wrote the epistle to the Colossians. Very different. As we talked about last week, remember women, they were objects. They could sell them. They could do anything they wanted to with them. A man could commit adultery as much as he wanted. The woman could not. So things were very different. Things were also very different for the parent-child relationship. A father could do about anything he wanted with a child. He could sell his child into slavery. He could even take their life if he wanted to. But remember, as we saw last week, Christ comes in and changes culture. With the husband-wife relationship, Christ comes in and changes culture for the parent-child relationship. And ladies, remember, we always follow Christ over following our culture. Now, perhaps when you first looked at this command for fathers to not provoke their children, you might have thought, well, good, I'm off the hook because I'm a mother. But that's far from what the Greek text reads. The Greek word is actually translated parents. Parents do not provoke your children to wrath. So both father and mother, are. this is a command for both of them. I will say the father has more responsibility because he's the head of the home. But perhaps the mother does this more often because she's with the children most, right? So what does Paul mean by not provoking our children? Well, the word means to nag as a habit. Paul says, stop nagging your kids. Now, ladies, this provoking is done by agitating them, unreasonable demands. Um, Some translations say don't provoke your children to anger, but anger is not in the original Greek. Um, It actually reads, parents, do not provoke your children, lest they be discouraged. However, The sister epistle of Colossians, Ephesians, that we brought out before, says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so instead of provoking my child to wrath, I bring them up in the nurture, which is discipline, and admonition, which is words of encouragement. That's how I'm to bring up my child. Discipline and words of encouragement. I marry those together. So instead of being a nag, I'm to nurture Um, That's what I am to do. Ladies, we really are our own worst enemy when we constantly nag and yell at our kids. It's physically exhausting. It's physically exhausting and spiritually exhausting. In fact, one good swat and you'll be surprised how peaceable life can be. And uh, just try it. You might like it. And uh, that's what I found. Like, get it over with and be on your business. Now, Paul gives a reason why we should not provoke them, and it's so they won't be discouraged, which means disheartened, dismayed, without courage or spirit. Ladies, when you continually nag your children, it causes them to lose heart. They're spiritless. And I've seen this many times in the faces of children. You know, you can tell a lot about people's homes by looking at the children. If the children are happy, and it tells a lot about what goes on in the, in the husband-wife relationship. But you also can see a lot of children that are downcast and discouraged and sad. And it's, 
it's discouraging because it makes you wonder what's going on in the home that the child is spiritless. One man said a broken down spirit is fatal to youth. Ladies, you as a parent should create an atmosphere of love and confidence that will make obedience easy and natural for your child. Now, I want to give you some ways that we as parents provoke or discourage our children. And you might be saying, well, Susan, why don't you give me some ways that my husband is supposed to be loving me the way Christ loved the church so I can go home and give him the list and tell him this is how he's supposed to be loving me. Well, first of all, I'm commanded as an older woman to teach you how to love your husband and your children. So I'm not commanded to teach your husband how to love you. I'll leave that up to the Lord. But um, I do want to leave you with this, uh, just a few of these. So the first one I think of is overprotection. This is one way we provoke our children. If you want a discouraged child, never let them have any freedoms. Always be suspicious. What are you doing? Who are you with? What do you know? And you, I guarantee you will have a discouraged child. And it can also lead to rebellion. Now, ladies, this doesn't mean you don't have rules in your house. You should have rules in your house. Scripture teaches us we should have rules in our house. But your child should be able to go to the bathroom without asking. In fact, Charles, um, Andrea's husband, my son, used to always, Mommy, Daddy, can I go to the bathroom? Finally, every year we say, Charles, you don't have to ask us to go to the bathroom. Just go to the bathroom, you know. And uh, so, but they, they shouldn't be under that kind of overprotection. Secondly, showing favoritism. Many times parents who compare their children with another child, um, it will um, show itself. Maybe you give that child special treats, special favors, special time with mommy. Um, I know when Cindy was growing up, she used to say, you love me more than Charles. And uh, actually it was true because she was the rebel. Charles was the compliant child. And, um, th- but that wasn't good that I was, that that was evident to her that she was a difficult child. Um, don't compare them with their peers. Um, they'll feel unloved and terribly frustrated. They'll feel like they can never measure up to your expectations. In fact, in Genesis 25, we have an example of Isaac and Rebecca. Remember, they showed favoritism. Isaac loved Esau. Rebecca loved Jacob. And ladies, read it. The results, results were disastrous. And so you don't want to do that. Thirdly, the third way you can discourage your child is by depreciating their worth. You're not important, you know, um, Don't take time to listen to them. Don't take time for them. Now, I'm not saying all your attention should be devoted to your child. I am not pushing a child-centered home. I don't believe in that. Um, I don't believe in worshiping the children. But you do need to let your children know that they're loved, that you appreciate them, take time for them, listen to them. Uh, Charles used to end up in our bed about 1030 at night when I was ready to go to bed. But that was the time Charles wanted to talk to me and his dad. And so we would sacrifice some sleep to visit with our son. And so make sure that they understand that you love them and take time for them. Number four, setting unrealistic goals. I know parents set goals that are not attainable and nothing the child does is good enough. Nothing. Um, last night, Debbie and I went with Dixie and two of her daughters and granddaughter to see that movie, um, I Can Only Imagine, the, how that song was born. And if you know anything about the, the man who wrote the song, I Can Only Imagine, talking about heaven, um, he had a father who beat him. And um, 
had unrealistic goals for his son and always was telling him, you're never going to mount to anything. You're never going to, you know, don't chase after your dreams. You're never going to make it. But some parents go the opposite and have all this these plans for their child, and this is what they want them to do, and if they don't do what they want them to do, then they're very disappointed to them with them, and the child loses heart. I even know some who've committed suicide because they cannot live up to their parents' expectation. The fifth way is lack of affection, lack of affection. Now, some of you might say, as one woman told me one time, she said, Susan, I'm just not a huggy person. And I said, I don't, it doesn't really matter that you're not a huggy person. You have five children, and they need your affection. You get out of yourself, and you go give those children a hug. They need to be loved. Ladies, all of us need to be loved. In fact, they tell us physical affection is imperative for all human beings. And so even if you're not a huggy person, go hug your children and your grandchildren. John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, said this, I know that my father loved me, but he did not seem to wish me to see it. What a sad thing. Ladies, the older women in Titus 2 are commanded to teach women to love their children. And the word for love is tender affection. You are to love your children. Show them tender affection. Number six, the sixth way we provoke our children is not providing for their needs. What do children need? They need clothes. They need food. They need privacy. They need a place to play. I think about those children that they found just recently that were shackled to a bed and many of the Children weighed, what, 60 pounds, and, and of course, these parents have been um, taken away, which I'm thankful for, but they weren't providing for their kids' basic needs, clothes, food, privacy, a place to play. Ladies, children need to be children, and when we don't give these things to our children, in many ways, it shows a lack of respect to them and concern, and I want to encourage you, you're going to reap what you sow, okay? And so when you're old and perhaps in a nursing home, wouldn't you like to be treated? Would you like to be treated with the same respect that you show your children now? And so remember that. They're watching you and how you treat them. Number seven, lack of standards and boundaries for the child. Ladies, if you leave your child to him or herself, disaster will set in. In fact, Proverbs 29:15 says, The rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Ladies, you need standards, you need boundaries, you need guidelines in your home because that gives a child a sense of security. And so if you don't have those boundaries and those guidelines, they don't know which way's up. One day mommy's going to say, I can do this. The next day, I can't. Uh, don't be afraid to have guidelines. Don't be afraid to have rules. Um, and have your children obey those rules in your home. Number eight, criticism. Someone once wisely said, if a child lives with criticism, he will learn to condemn. He'll not only condemn others, but himself as well. He will distrust others. Ladies, we should create a positive influence on our children and not be criticizing them for their actions. And for uh, actually for a brief time in my own life, this was difficult for me with my daughter. And I had a hard time. I couldn't find uh, anything worth you know, praising her about. And I was being discipled at that time. And and uh, one of the ladies who disciples me was very wise. And she said, I want you every day 
to praise your daughter for something good. And let me tell you, that was a hard exercise. But it was helpful to me. It was a good exercise for me to see where I had gotten in this habit of, in my heart, just being critical and not looking for the good in her. Number nine, neglect. Neglect. Ladies, Absalom and David are good examples of this. Remember, David was indifferent to him as his son, and it led to his rebellion and civil war and eventually led to Absalom's death. Now, I don't mean that you are enslaved to your child's every whim. Uh, Some people are so involved in their kids' lives, and they push them to participate in every activity to the ridiculous. Um, In fact, I remember we were working on a cross-stitch project when Doug was going to seminary, and I had two little kids at home, and and it said, if if a woman's place is in the home, why am I always in the car? And uh, I thought, boy, that is so true. You know, I, I was hanging around other young moms, and they were taking their kids to soccer and gymnastics and baseball. And I thought, so back then, Doug and I decided, you guys can have one activity outside the home. And Cindy chose gymnastics, and Charles so, so, so chose soccer and eventually football. But, um, you know, we don't want to neglect them, but we don't want to indulge them either. Number 10, excessive discipline, excessive discipline. This would be a parent who's verbally abusive, emotionally, physically. Uh, Some parents say things to their children they would never say to anyone else, and believe me, I've heard them at the grocery store, restaurants. Debbie and I hear them at the airport, on the airplane. They say things to their kids. I mean, I was like, I can't believe they just said that to their kids. Um, Some people spank their children to the point of abusing them. In fact, one man writing to a friend of his who thought his friend was too harsh in the treatment of his son said this, and I quote, I was reminded by this example of excessive severity to write to you as one friend to another, lest you on some occasion treat your son too harshly and strict. Remember, he is a boy, and that you were once a boy, and perform your duty as a father, always remembering that you are a human being and the father of a human being. So we don't want to be excessive either in our discipline. The last but not least, there's many, but these are the ones I think are the best, hypocrisy. If you want to discourage your child, just be a hypocrite. (laughs) Be a hypocrite. You know, setting standards for them that you don't do yourself. You tell your kids, don't lie, and then they hear you lying, you know, or exaggerating. Uh, stressing the importance to them of being in God's house, and yet you allow the smallest thing to keep you from being in God's house. Double standards are very frustrating to children. In fact, just recently I was talking to a young woman, extremely bitter towards her parents, very bitter. And most of it stemmed from the hypocrisy she saw in her home. My parents do this at church, but let me tell you how they are at home. Very, very different. So what is the responsibility of the husband to the wife to love her and not be bitter towards her? What is the responsibility of the children to the parents to obey them? What is the responsibility of the parents to the children to not provoke them to anger? This certainly is a beautiful picture, isn't it? That Paul paints here for us in Colossians. Husbands loving their wives, wives graciously submitting, children obeying their parents, and in return, the parents are not irritating the children. It sounds blissful, doesn't it? Is it a picture of your home this past week? Ladies, our home should reflect Christ, and if they don't, there's a problem. 
Charles Haddon Spurgeon said it well, what we are at home is what we are. I know in my closing remarks, I cannot admonish your husband. I cannot admonish your children, but I can admonish you as a woman. If your family does not see Christ in you at home, then there should be some serious concern. If you are not doing your God-given part to be the wife and mother he has called you to be, then there should be some serious concern. If you are not graciously submitting to your husband, there should be cause for concern. If you are not disciplining your children as God commands, there should be serious concern. If you are provoking and discouraging your children, there should be cause for concern.